Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It's May. Welcome to the month of May. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. I want to lead off with um, a headline out of Ukraine this morning. Well, I should ha- I should lead off with this. Where in the word are you today? I am in Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to reflect on that a little bit later. Um, that's the most, uh, I mean, that's one of the most important questions that I will ask today. Where in the word are you? That's going to be far more important than the headline news, because we cannot bring the mind of Christ to bear on the issues of our day if we um, have not been cultivating the mind of Christ on the matters of the day through an intentional study of Scripture. Like, right, have you been soaking in the Word of God? If not, then um, go do that, right? All right, so um, in terms of headlines this morning, the first civilians have now left the Mariupol uh, still plant, steel plant um, where they uh, have been sheltering during the besiegement of their city of Mariupol. Um, People who uh, have been now uh, leaving, uh, arriving today in Ukrainian-held territory, um, describing weeks of bombardment and uh, deprivation. Relief workers were waiting waiting for them. Um, Video that was posted on Sunday by Ukrainian forces showed uh, elderly women, um, mothers with small children, climbing over a steep pile of rubble uh, surrounding the what used to be the Azostal steel plant, eventually boarding a bus. About 100 civilians from the plant were expected to um, arrive in uh, a city northwest of Mariupol today on Monday. Um, but hundreds are um, still described as inside the bowels of what used to be the steel plant there, um, wounded and uh, and too weak to pull themselves out of the rubble and uh, and get onto buses for evacuation. So um, as we survey what's going on in Ukraine, as we consider these things, as we here in the United States begin to receive refugees and Um, and consider how to best serve people, Um, you know, we might ask ourselves, what what do we say about these things? And I will say this, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God is great and God is good. God is worthy of glory in the midst of all circumstances. This world is not our home, and yet we pray for um, uh, the, the good of the city where we find ourselves. The redemptive arc of God's eternal plan is working itself out right now, even if I can't see or understand it, in the midst of human history. And today is the day the Lord has made. Today is the day the Lord has made. And we will rejoice and be glad in it. And today for some will be the day of salvation. And our calling and our commission is that we are his witnesses. 
So I have been praying this morning, even as I ask you to pray for me, the words of the Apostle Paul to his fellow believers in Colossae. This is from chapter one of the book of Colossians. I am asking God that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of our sins. It is in this hope that we live, and it is to this purpose that we strive. That's our calling. In other headline news this morning, country music legend Naomi Judd um, has died. Her daughter, Ashley Judd, announced it on Saturday. She was 76 years old. You're going to see a lot of conversation about this, um, I think, on social media and certainly among Christian media. At the Country Music Hall of Fame, um, during the medallion ceremony, uh, her daughters were honoring her, saying it's a very strange dynamic to be in this broken and this blessed place. And at the induction, Winona shared that the last act that she and her sister Ashley and other family members um, had together before Naomi's passing was the reciting of Psalm 23. And the entire crowd in attendance all recited Psalm 23 in unison. Um, with uh, with Winona Judd as she gave her speech. That's a testimony. That's a testimony to the endurance of the Word of God in our midst. Next up, uh, Dave Buring is going to join us. We're going to talk about being broken but not destroyed. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Now, Dave Buring from LionShare. You can find what we're discussing today at lionshare.org. Dave, welcome back. Hey, good morning, Carmen. You doing all right? I'm doing well. It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. How about you? That's a good thing. Yeah, me too. Lots on the plate, but I'm grateful for the Lord's ongoing grace in and through my life. Always thankful for that. You know, when when it's like Thanksgiving and we have lots on our plate, we mean something different than what you just said. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like, I mean, I think that when we when we use a turn of phrase like there's lots on my plate um, in our casual conversations with one another, I am then tempted to say, all right, is it like, you know, is it like stuffing? Is it like, you know, or is it uh, is it turkey? Like what's on your plate right now? <laughs> like get people to unpack what's on the plate. Is it cranberry yep. sauce? Right. Gravy. Yep. Maybe it's all gravy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, on my plate, it's it's a journey between uh, we, we're tending uh, aging parents. And so we have mm-hmm. an 88-year-old mom and dad that we're engaged very actively in helping them in their life. And it's a challenging thing because they've been married for 64 years, but they can't live together. 
because of mind issues. And mm. so, you know, I, I would had we bring them together every so often. So they're together on Friday and to watch them kind of weep as they leave each other. You know, there's those there's those kind of dynamics that are going on in, in the midst of other things. So that's part of what's on my plate. Dave, that's huge. Um, thank you for sharing that. And um, yeah, that's a lot. That'll help me. That'll help me pray for you. Um, I'll be holding. I'll be holding that um, in my mind as I lift you up. That's um. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Let's talk about yeah. um, um, broken but not destroyed. This is a bit. Mm-hmm. This is one part testimony, um, and one part uh, encouraging word. So take us into this conversation. Yeah. So I think um, for me as a young guy in my twenties, I had godly men and women around me that begin to use this word brokenness. And, you know, at first it was like, does that mean like when you're holding a glass and it slips out of your hand and hits the floor and shatters, is that like brokenness? And I began to learn, no, that's not, that's not what it is. And, and over the years, um, I've, I've learned there's two pieces to it. There's one piece that I would call is dependence. Like you're in a place where where there's a brokenness inside. It could be of heart. It could be of mind. It could be of life circumstances that you didn't bring on yourself. But but those challenges cause a dependence on God that we're we're yielding. Like like just last week, um, we have a, a one of our pastors at our church, you know, woke up and his daughter who's fifty has been living with him recently, came down the steps and was ready to go to work and then went back up to get something and never came back down. And when, when, when he went mm. up there, she had passed to heaven. Mm. And, and there was that dependence kind of brokenness, the circumstances, just very much like what the Judds are walking through right now. You're, you're dealing with this incredible dependence on God. We know not what to do. And there, there's that. And, and the Bible t- teaches us that he's close to the brokenhearted. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, saves those who are crushed in spirit. So there's that, that piece of brokenness. The other piece for me, I would use the word yielded. It's where God is actually trying to do a work in you to break off some of those stuck places of your life so that you can be more yielded to him so that he can do things in and through your life related to his kingdom purposes. So when I look at brokenness, there's a dependence piece and there's a yielded piece. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. Let's um, let's talk a little bit more about that after we take a very brief break. We're talking with Dave Buring from Lion Share. You can find what we're discussing today at lionshare.org. Broken, but not destroyed. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. We're talking with Dave Buring from Lion Share. You can find what we're discussing and lots of other great resources at lionshare.org. I'm talking about um, a recent conversation on the Lion Share podcast about being broken but not destroyed. Um, Dave, let's talk a- about a few scripture references. You alluded to them in your comments um, about dependence upon God, God being near to the brokenhearted. Um, talk with us a little bit. Give us those scripture references in terms of the mm-hmm. dependence on God um, part of of broken but not destroyed. Yeah, I think, you know, Psalm 34, 18, 19 says the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. Like just that's good news right there, right? And the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. 
The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I like Psalm 147, 3 as well. It says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So I you know, often think of the, the way the man, you know, with the Good Samaritan paused to bind up wounds. That, you know, it's an amazing thing to think that God wants to bind up our wounds. And mm. sometimes I think we miss what that might look like. But I think if we pay attention, we see God orchestrating circumstances, God orchestrating people in our lives that he brings in to be some of those binders of wounds. Mm. Um, when I think about um, the way that Jesus is broken but not destroyed, I feel like mm-hmm. I have this model for the yielding component that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that came to mind was, you know, that we are like clay in the hands of the potter and the potter, mm. you know, can, can do with us in terms of reforming and transforming according to his will when he needs a vessel of a different use. Talk with us mm-hmm. about the yielding to God's reforming or transforming work in our lives. Yeah, I think there's a, so again, just to differentiate, there's the dependence piece, which comes through, you know, relying on God in light of our circumstances and the challenges and that he promises, I am with you. Like I am with you. He doesn't say sometimes, he says always. And it's important for us to remember that this yielded part is more about our spiritual maturity. And it's God growing us in a way that will cause our will to be more yielded to him. And, you know, the classic kind of illustration of this is Jesus in Gethsemane, where, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus is is trying to do a work inside of us to bring about a yieldedness of our wills. Um, sometimes it can be, hey, I'm willing to do whatever God wants me to do as long as blank, you know, <laughs> fill in the blank, or as long as I have this in my hands or X amount of money in the bank. Or, and, and, and what we can slowly do is put our agendas upon God's will. And what God is trying to do is, is prepare a vessel. That's you, that's me, that's those who are listening, to be vessels by which he can pour his life, his life-givingness through us to bless others. But but that often requires a preparing of the vessel. And that's what this yielded part is. Mm. Um, I think one of the, the challenges that I face is when I can see this happening in the life of another person. Like, I just feel mm-hmm. like I I am witnessing it. And they are, the person that I love is so resisting what is yeah. obvious to me God is God is seeking to do. And I I will tell you, Dave, it's hard for me to not point it yeah. out. Yeah. But I have to resist I have to resist that temptation, right? Yeah, but I, I hear you and it, it is it's really hard. And and it's you know, and that's where I'm very grateful that the Holy Spirit resides in us because then I feel like again, part of my yielding is that. It's, okay, God, I relinquish my opinion here. I relinquish my right to do this, but I also want you to know I'm yielded to you. And if you ask me to do something, I'm willing to do something. If you're wanting me to hold my tongue because later is going to be more appropriate, I'm willing to do that. If you want me to say nothing at all, but, but I, it is a very hard thing. And I, I run across that all the time because I want to say, you're going over the cliff, you know, and and because I want to spare them of pain and heartache and all that. But, you know, here's the other thing is is when you do that, you're there then on the bottom of the cliff with them. It's It's the temptation to say, I told you so. 
where when we keep our mouths quiet, when God says, be quiet, then you're just with them in their brokenness in that moment, you know? No, I do. I do know. I do know. I think it is, um, it's a particular challenge um, because I, uh, you know, I feel like I, I don't just desire, I, I actively ask God every single day, like, you know, go ahead and have your way. Like, I don't, I don't get me out of the way, have your way with me, um, where my will is in the way, reveal that to me, break me where you need to. Like, I want to be, um, I want to be used and Mm -hmm. I want to be completely open to the fact that God may have to radically change me in order to use me in the way that he wants. Yeah. Um, And then I have friends who I'll just, you know, I'll just confess to you here, Dave, who will say, now I told God this, 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 and this. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, that is completely upside down. Like for you to tell God your agenda and then ask him to bless it. Like that is just not how this relationship thing works when you're dealing (laughs) with God, the God who is. No, that's exactly right. And you know, I, I think it's that John fifteen five portion where Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think until that can become something that we hug and hold with joy, you know, it's going to be the wrestling of our own agenda. But um, and you've heard me say this before when we visited Carmen that, you know, what God initiates, he permeates what we initiate, we have to sustain and that's mm. why we can be so worn out is because it's we're trying to ask God to bless something that was our thing. And that's like you just said, it's not how God works. God's ways are he initiates Noah, build an ark, Joshua, walk around the walls of Jericho, on and on and on. And and when we obey what he asks us to do, then that's when the empowerment comes. That's where we can trust him to move on our behalf and on people's behalf. But that's all part of this yielding process and being yielded to walking in the ways of God. But Dave, I, um, I'm driving in the fast lane, and I am, you know, I am far down the road, and there are places where, you know, if God would just catch up with me, everything would go so much better. Talk about our need, um, not only our need to depend on God completely, but that God loves it when we depend on him, when we let him orchestrate mm-hmm. the events of our lives, and when we joyfully um, wait on him when necessary. I think there's a lot of people way out in front of um, what God is is seeking to do. Yeah, and, and it's particular, particularly an issue uh, in, in our American culture, in some of the other cultures that I travel to and minister, and I don't find this as prevalent, but it is here in our nation because of the, the drive to succeed, the got to one-up people, you've got to reach your maximum potential, you know, all this stuff. Let me let me illustrate this through somebody that maybe your listeners, you know, hear from some time to time. So a, a friend of mine is a young guy who's just a wonderful, godly man by the name of Jeremy Camp. Jeremy's a Christian artist, and we've walked together over the years, and he's lived here in our area. He lives elsewhere now, and and uh, there was a time he came to me and said, hey, would you pray about going to Boston with me? I said, sure. Like, what, what's this about? And he said, well, I'm just, you know, it's something that I've had in my heart for a long time to do something significant in Boston of an outreach. He, Jeremy's kind of really like a Billy Graham behind a guitar. That's kind of where his gifts are. He's got an evangelism gift, but, you know, wonderfully leads worship, wonderfully creates incredible songs that point people to Jesus based in the scriptures. But 
as we were talking about it, I actually used that phrase, what God initiates, he permeates, what I initiate, I have to sustain. And he, it caught him and he said, you know what? I don't know that this is God. And I said, why don't mm-hmm. you pray about it? If you go, I'll go with you. But why don't you pray? He came back to me and said, I, Dave, it's not. And what the Lord was doing is teaching him that very principle. And the Lord shut down Boston, but opened up the nations. And Jeremy has gone to the nations and has brought the gospel in ways where where it's been, again, very Billy Graham crusadish, tens of thousands of people at times showing up and him singing for them, then putting the guitar down and preaching the gospel and, and you know, people responding like crazy. And But had he gone to Boston on his own initiative, he would have not been ready for what God wanted him to do internationally. And and again, so that's, he has said to me, you know what? I don't ever want to initiate anything again in my life. I need to know God's the one initiating. Mm, I love that. I love that. Um, for those of you thinking that you've um, heard part of Jeremy Camp's story, it's probably because you've seen the movie, I Still Believe. Um, excellent, excellent song as well. That, Dave, thank you so much for sharing that personal insight and, um, and helping us apply Scripture to Life. You guys can find Dave Buring at lionshare.org. Invite you into the discipleship journey if you've never engaged in that. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. Let's take a moment with Upwards with Max Locato. All right, leading the economic news across the United States might be uh, the stock market down a full 10% in the month of April. Uh, Tech companies fared particularly poorly. Netflix down 49%, Spotify down 33.9%, Amazon down 23.8%, Google down 18%. The tech-heavy NASDAQ index dropped a full 14% in its worst month since 2008, Um, You can blame anything you want. Um, The reality is economics drives politics. And so, um, you know, one thing that you might consider today referring to would be what Warren Buffett and his uh, right-hand man, Charlie Munger, both, by the way, like in their 90s, um, what they said this year at their annual uh, stockholder meeting, um, you know, as people were blaming the wild swings in the stock market on all kinds of things, they said this, people are treating the stock market like a gambling parlor. So that's a um, a good opportunity for uh, us to think about um, how we're investing and what we're investing in. But the economic news is going to drive in no small measure how people um, vote in the primaries, which which are held tomorrow across the United States for the 2020 midterm elections. And if you haven't been paying attention to what's going on in those, we'll talk about it in the next uh, day or so. Um, But I do think it's one of those opportunities for us to look at what people are saying about themselves and others and about the um, status of things across the country. Opportunity for us to look at language that people are using and then and then reflect. Does that does that actually reflect God's view of nations and nation states and this nation and the role of Christians in the political conversations of the day. 
Um, so all kinds of things going on across the country in relationship to midterm elections. That's going to drive the news in uh, certainly the next cycle. And much of the voting, I think, is going to be driven by the economics of the day. And yes, the question about the security of the country, both in the relationship to the southern border and what's going on in Ukraine. Dr. Adam Carrington joins us next from Hillsdale College. We're going to talk about some of the political headlines of the day. Joining us now, Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. We talk about uh, things at the intersection of the politics of the day and our faith as Christians in the marketplace of ideas. Adam, welcome back. Good to be here always. Thanks for having me again. So um, you and I could spend all of our time talking about uh, tomorrow's primaries, but let's just, if we can, telescope in on one particular individual um, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, there uh, there are attempts to exclude her from the ballot for supporting um, what happened on January the 6th of now last year. Um, so talk with us about what's happening here and whether or not excluding someone from uh, from the ballot is something that you expect to see more of or attempts to exclude people from the ballot, something you see um, like on the rise as a political strategy. I think that it obviously people are going to use whatever means some people will use whatever means they can to 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 get an advantage on their opponent. I think that the particular method that is being used against Green ha- was ha- has been brought up a couple times and I think it's going to have a short shelf life because I think it's just not going to get anywhere. Uh and and what that is is uh the 14th amendment. And the 14th amendment was passed in the aftermath of the Civil War. And it's most famous for saying that you, all people, states have to treat all people equally under the law. They have to give them due process to protect their life, liberty, property. Those are very powerful uh, parts of the Constitution that have a lot of salience. But if you go further in, one of the more obscure parts of it had to do with um, Section 3, had to do with former Confederates. And it was saying that if you have been actively supporting a rebellion or insurrection, then you can't be a senator or or representative in Congress. And now the way it's worded is not if you've been a former Confederate, just if you've been engaged in a rebellion or a um, uh, uh, insurrection. And and so that's what they're trying to claim here. I just don't think it's going to have a long shelf life because really I think what this passage was meant to entail was active military civil war like opposition to the US government not um not lending verbal support to even a semi violent uh, 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 uh attack well what what happened on January 6 i think that to do that might might get too fuzzy to where even if you have unpopular views you may be excluded so uh while i while i think people will try to do things like this in the future. I just don't think this is going to have a long shelf life because it really was intended for ex-Confederates and something like the Civil War to occur. But it does show how acrimonious things have gotten that 
they're willing to pull out something that really hasn't been tried since the 1860s and 70s in order to try to uh, exclude someone from the ballot. I think the way that if you have a problem with Green, and I know a lot of people do, the way to get her out is to vote her out, is to convince the voters in her district that she shouldn't be representing that area, uh, to show that you or someone you know would be better. Uh, that's, I think, the way to deal with this, short of some so, something else coming up with that we don't know about. All right. For those uh, listening and who are concerned um, about issues related to QAnon, um, I'm looking at a note that there are at least 78 QAnon-allied candidates running for office in 26 states across the country uh, at the level of governor, secretary of state, seats of senates and house, state legislatures. They have raised more than $20 million in this cycle, and Marjorie Taylor Greene is certainly one of them. Um, she like, leads the list. Six of the QAnon-aligned candidates um, examined uh, are Republican. Over a dozen are incumbents, including Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert. Um, she's a, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is a representative from Georgia and Lauren Boebert from Colorado. I, these are definitely um, uh, conversations to consider and races to watch. Um, Adam, let's talk about George Will. He has a piece in the Washington Post, one of his recent opinion pieces. And he's um, suggesting that maybe we amend the Constitution so that um, so that senators like what will explain to us what's going on here to keep senators from running for president. I don't know. That sounds a little crazy. Yes. He wants to pass a law saying that if someone has is currently a senator or has been a U.S. senator, they are disqualified from running for president. Now, um, I, I'll just say off the bat, I, I don't think it's it's an idea that should go through. I think that you should be able to vote for who you want for president uh, and that there have been good senators that have been presidents. But Will has a legitimate point that I think just needs to be addressed some other way. We need to find some other way to address his his problem, which is that um, the bigger issue is Congress doesn't legislate much anymore, even though if you look at the Constitution, Article 1, that's its main job. Really, everything else it does is secondary to passing the laws of our country as the representatives of the people. But you have um, Congress deferring a lot to the executive branch, letting them write a lot of laws, the president and his, his department heads. You have Defer, them deferring a lot to government agencies, the bureaucracy, them writing a lot of laws. And then the question is, well, what are they doing instead? And Will rightly points out that at least on the Senate side, a lot of them are spending their time trying to get on TV, trying to get national attention. And senators have always done that. But instead of doing it to bolster the Senate's power or their power in the Senate, they're doing it in order to try to get a run for president. And to and uh, to be honest, there are senators that here who seem to have been spending most of their time running for president, even though some of them have been elected more than one time. Uh, uh, he mentions just one senator who's only been there once, but I think there's a number of senators who have been perpetually running for president. And that undermines the capacity of the Senate to be a part of the legislative branch. It undermines their ability to try to to try to be an independent chamber from 
the president to stand up to the executive branch when instead they're trying to bolster the power of the president. So when they get in there, because they all think they're going to get in there, they can wield more authority. So uh, Will, Will, I think it's it's he's diagnosing a real issue there that has turned the Senate from the greatest deliberative body in the world, the one that was celebrated so much in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington in the 1930s, the movie with Jimmy Stewart, to a body that is um, uh, not the greatest deliberative body in the world by any stretch at this point. So I think that that's where it's, it's a good, good prescription uh, or good, good, good diagnosis. Bad prescription uh, would be my my response to that, and and one that I don't think has much a chance. I don't think anyone's going to really get behind this amendment anyway. I think if anything, Will's raising the problem if he if if his point gets anywhere. Yeah, I mean it. It's one of those things where, all right, here's a um, here's a good brain. Here's some brainstorming in relationship to something, and the people, many of the people who would be uh, needed to move it through would obviously have a self-interest in not seeing such an idea progress. So, I yes, mean, right? yes, I guess I mean, yeah. I guess there, there is a way to do it, I guess, starting with the states, which could create some some uh, maybe peer pressure to make it happen. But you're you're exactly right. How do you get 67 senators, which you need two thirds of the Senate to, to approve a constitutional amendment normally? How, how do you get 67 of them to vote against their interests to that extent? Um, it, it, it would take some extraordinary circumstances given the ambitions of these men and women. So, uh, yeah, I, I also just don't see it going anywhere despite uh, Will devoting a column to it. So if you and I were to brainstorm on this topic, what if we imagined, what if we imagined a process in which the three branches were basically siloed from one another in terms of um, the the process by which people – rose through, let's say, the the judiciary to a seat on the Supreme Court or rose through some legislative, um, uh, you, you know, you had to serve in a state legislature before you could serve, you know, at the national level. And maybe you had to be an executive in a state before you could be the executive of the country. So do you see where, like, that's a brainstorm on the same topic, but in a different direction in terms of how we might have a conversation about reforming our process? Yeah, and I think um, you know, and and I think at least encouraging. Uh, uh, may, may, I don't know if we should have an amendment for that, but at least encouraging with our voting and our social um, pressures, that kind of thing um, is good. One because you get experience. There's an art to legislating that is distinct from the art of executing, executing or enforcing the laws, and and people tend to be better at one than the other. People mm-hmm. tend to be better at legislating. I mean, the found this is part of the genius of the founders, is they saw that there were three distinct functions of government: lawmaking, law executing, and law adjudicating. And they said these are three skill sets. Let's not just create branches that are tailored to do those. Let's uh, recognize that therefore certain people are going to thrive in one, and it's going to really be a rare guy or gal that is going to thrive in more than one. It's going to be an un. An un- uh, uh, someone that doesn't come along very often. So recognizing what your proper lane is, that you're really just cut out for this branch of government at whatever level, local, state, or national, uh, and and then the voters rewarding that and punishing trying to go out of your lane, 
um, that's certainly a, a start. Uh, I think that's one 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 step to make in all this that also recognizes, again, I think the genius of the way our Constitution is set up. It's not really in, envisioned for people to jump between branches all the time, even though that happens more and more. All right, we're going to talk about swinging, uh, swinging branches a little more further with Dr. Adam Carrington in just a moment. Um, we're talking about the politics of the day, and we're talking about Christians and our engagement in the political process. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and we'll be right back. I'm just a All right, if you were to Google White House visitor logs and then click on news, you're going to see that there are some uh, notes in the White House visitor logs from a number of years ago that have people talking today about influence and influence uh, the way that administrations are influenced by those who visit the White House. This is a different story about White House visitor logs, and this goes back to the presidency of Abraham Lincoln. If you were to read the White House visitor logs from that period of time, there would notably be a lot of black men and women um, who used a series of visits to the White House during the Civil War to actually move President Abraham Lincoln um, in terms of his thinking on slavery. It's a new book. Andrew Lang uh, reviews it in Law and Liberty. Jonathan White is the author, um, and and the book is A House Built by Slaves. Um, Adam, um, what what do we know about this period of history and the way these visits to the White House actually moved Abraham Lincoln in terms of leading the country uh, toward emancipation? Well, well, there's no, uh, besides, I think, Jesus, uh, in English, there's no more books written on any public figure than Abraham Lincoln. However, I think this book has broken some new ground, which is quite an extraordinary achievement. And uh, the, 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 the issue is, I think it's pretty uh, un, undebatable that these visits changed Lincoln's view on what should be done in public policy, that he came in uh, certainly anti-slavery. He, 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 he was definitively said well before getting into the White House that if I've ever had a political principle, it was that slavery was wrong. Um, and that slavery should be gone. But he was very um, uh, cautious, and the Republican Party was very cautious about how far it thought it could go immediately in emancipating and in ending slavery. Really, the Republican Party came into the White House in 1860 on the platform of, we're going to we're going to stop the spread of slavery. It's not going to go anywhere new, and we're going to leave it at, bay, at, at in place where it is now. Now, with the hope that eventually it would die long term. Um, but what these visits, I think, really convinced Lincoln of was the imperative that uh, African Americans really are American that they, by this point, had been a integral part of the development of the country, of uh, it, its development, not just economically, but socially, and that therefore um, it, it, it moved Lincoln away from some ideas like colonization. At one point, he wanted to 
move uh, African Americans to Liberia and other places so that uh, we got rid of basically uh, resegregated after emancipating. And so what you really see is Lincoln coming to believe in a biracial democracy, a democracy of by and for people of different races and colors and ethnicities in a way that I just uh, I, I I'm not, it's not clear to me whether he ever whether he wanted that before so to what degree did it change his own racial attitudes that's harder to determine but it certainly changed his view on what he thought was possible and it's quite extraordinary one that the sitting president would be so open to uh, to, to black men and women and treat them with such dignity and respect as as was as uh, almost everyone said when they came out from those meetings, uh, and also just how influential these men and women were, how eloquent they were, how they were able to make the case for black citizenship, black service in the army, uh, black participation in the political process in a way that. Uh, by the time Lincoln was shot in April of 1865, he was pushing for citizenship for African Americans in, in the reconstructed state of Louisiana. He was saying that if you're going to try to return uh, the black men and women to slavery after uh, the Civil War, you're going to have to do it with someone other than me. You're going to have to drag me out kicking and screaming. So quite quite an extraordinary story that shows that uh, black men and women weren't merely emancipated by the benevolence of white people, even though there was a, a lot of sacrifice by white people to make that happen. Uh, it's that they were part of their own liberation. They were active parts, not only by serving in the military, but by making the political case as well. And this book, it, uh, which I've read a bit of, uh, really tells wonderful stories uh, of, of how that came to be. I like the agency, the human agency um, part of this storyline, right? There's this um, there's this reality that, yeah, I mean, God is sovereign over all of human history. God's working out his will in time and space. But there's also human agency involved. And these are people who were prepared to speak. And once given the opportunity, they were able to make their case in a way that was personal, um, legitimate, compelling. I think there's a lot of people screaming about political issues today, and all they know is whatever the latest talking point is. But when pressed, they can't go beyond that to actually make their case for anything. And that's one of the things I appreciate about this. This is a, um, this is a testimony to the careful preparation that's necessary for the time when we do get the opportunity to walk into the room and make our case. Yeah, and the, and the need there, I would just add, that's that's very good. That the the need for the the capacity to talk in high political principle. Um, yes, there were regular public policy questions of 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 what to do about uh, uh, slaves that 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 escaped into Union lines, and so and and what to do about U.S. military service from the perspective of strengthening the the Union soldier ranks. But in the end, these these. Uh, these men and women understood something essential about the nature of freedom, uh, the nature of natural God-given rights for those made in the image of God, and were able to articulate them in a way that then dictated the particular policies that should be done. And I think it just is, is a testimony to the American experiment that government of, by, and for the people uh, really is not and never has been an elite endeavor. It has always been one that 
all human beings with reason given them by God and will given them by God are able to do so. And yes, I think it's it's right to say God is sovereign over history, but he works through through people. And 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 we should be ready to answer the call if we're the ones that he's meaning to work through at that time and place. Yeah, I uh, I love this testimony. Um, Adam, as always, thank you so much. Appreciative of the Lord for the good healing work he's doing in your life as well. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thank you all for your prayers and support. It's been a, a wonderful part of my uh, journey this during this period. Yeah, we look forward to talking about that more um, in, in the weeks and months to come as well. That's Dr. Adam Carrington at Hillsdale College. You can check out his Caring Bridge site if you want more info on that and how to be praying for him today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and we'll be right back. I will trust. Join me this Wednesday, May the 4th, which, of course, makes um, my producer, Paul Perot, want to reference what? Well, Mm -hmm. Star Wars Day, of course. Come on. I know. (laughs) It's also going to be the day, however, that we are going to do a live live stream event uh, on the Faith Radio Facebook page and our YouTube channel. We're going to talk practically about prayer. Um, you, You all have asked frequently, like, how do I practically pray for the concerns of the day? And so I'm going to, um, I'm going to have a conversation with you about that. So if you go ahead to the Faith Radio Facebook page and you, and you like it, then you're going to get notified when events like this um, happen. And we'd love for you to join us on May the 4th for our How to Practically Pray live stream event. Also then on Thursday, inviting you to join us. Um, online at MyFaithRadio.com or, again, on our face, uh, Facebook page uh, at Faith Radio for the National Day of Prayer service. So let's be praying this week specifically for our nation. Good time to be getting some resources together on that. Find a National Day of Prayer service in your own community that you could participate in um, and certainly participate online with events as well. And that's the nationaldayofprayer.org. Um, we've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We're going to do a globe trot with Mindy Bells. Uh, and then we're just going to talk about the grace of God and its all-sufficient nature. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.